because you're jumping back into the gut. All right. Hey, Coach. Welcome to the Basketball Podcast. I'm your host, Chris Oliver. I appreciate you joining us for this week's podcast. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to the show and visit basketballimmersion.com for more coaching resources and access to all the basketball podcasts. I hope you will give us a shout out on social media, on Twitter at Bball Immersion, or on Instagram at Basketball Immersion to help me continue to share the game. Enjoy the episode. Coach is super excited today to have Kobe Carl with us. Uh, Kobe is going into his fifth season with the South Bay Lakers of the NBA G League as head coach. And uh, all of his coaching experience has been in the G League, but uh, I a very diverse background in terms of uh, influences in life and certainly his playing career as well. So first off, Kobe, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. I appreciate it. It's an honor to be here. I guess my first question is relative to your playing career, and that's this concept. Does a diverse playing experience help you become a better coach? I know some of the coaches you played for, John Patrick, which uses a pressing style, for example, at the professional level, Phil Jackson, Don Nelson, some of these coaches that you played for have been around. Does that help you become a better coach? Um, You know, I, I think not just specifically the coach itself, but also the style of basketball. Uh, like it was – I grew up around the NBA and that's what I fell in love with. Uh, I didn't really watch college. I didn't really watch your European or Euro league. So when I had the first opportunity to go over to Spain and then eventually Italy and Germany, it was a whole different brand of basketball. So I think that helped, uh, you know, one me as a human being to, to appreciate their culture and learn how to communicate in a different language. Um, but also, learning that how you can play the game in so many different ways. Uh, you know, where in Spain, I, I appreciate them so much because their skill level, their players, their execution, uh, you know, Italy was a little bit more free, but similar to Spain in that way. And then Germany was a little bit more like America or, or the G league with a up and down pace, obviously playing for, for JP. Um, but, you know, that opportunity to see it can be done in so many different ways was uh, something that has hit me to the core. Well, and I imagine it's even more valuable because you obviously grew up in a coaching household. And the question that kind of we connected with originally was around the perceptual side of the game. So I'm curious if growing up in a coaching household like you did, did you develop an early appreciation for the advantages of understanding the game beyond just physical skill? Yeah, it's interesting you say that. Uh, you know, the, the main reason I reached out to you originally was because uh, uh, during this quarantine process, uh, a lot of reflection and then also um, just the thought that I, I do want to share some of my experiences and in, in, in that in the first experience with basketball, you know, most people it's on the playground or YMCA. You know, mine was going to my dad's practices and, uh, you know, watching shoot arounds and practices and being in the locker room as a ball boy. And then as I got a little older, I used to go down before shoot rounds and, and be part of the coaches meetings or be in the coaches meeting after the games. So that was, those are my like core memories were, were being in coaches meetings, seeing them set up practice, you know, talking about philosophy and, and execution of different drills or, or what they wanted to work on and, or their frustrations with the players. So I kind of had a reverse reverse way of, of seeing the game from from what I understand of most people. Um, and, and that definitely gave me a, a different view and then also a different different um, perspective as a player. 
Uh, and, and yeah, I remember that conversation and that part of it was very unique and it's a unique perspective to have and uh, no doubt has helped your coaching. So uh, where we're going to go today is we're going to go to a few places, but uh, we wanted to kind of talk about this conceptual concept of spacing and this template that you give your players and maybe start like uh, just talking a little bit about your philosophy relative to spacing. It's funny because when I first got my job as a head coach in the G League, uh, I've been an assistant with Westchester for, for one year under Mike Miller, um, who just had the opportunity to coach the Knicks, uh, the, the, the NBA Knicks. Uh, and um, I was ta- I went to the Florida basketball camp with my father, and he was talking to a group of coaches and just talking about, uh, you know, everyone wants to play fast. And, and I like playing fast. Uh, my high school coach was a fast break coach, and my college coach was a fast break coach, and my dad obviously had a major influence on me, you know, with the Nuggets team, uh, that they were really fast. And, and, and he said something that really hit me and it was, you know, everyone wants to play fast, but you guys put in plays from day one. He's like, if you really want to play fast, don't put any plays for the first three days of practice or your first three practices. And, and, you know, I think as, as a human being, I think we see it, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm a parent of two and, uh, I felt it as a player, uh, the less information I have, the freer I'll be and the more energy I'll be able to expend. So that's kind of been my philosophy is like, I want to teach our players how to play the game of basketball, uh, how to learn how to play with each other and not necessarily execute a play itself. So that, that that's kind of taken me into this process of learning and, and adapting over the last five years. Well, and again, that makes sense to me is this, this you know, plays again, you, you could run plays. So this conceptual concept of then playing without plays, are we talking mainly about end actions? What I would consider, you know, what traditionally people would say end of actions, but we're talking about as primary actions and that's penetration reaction, post reaction, and then flowing into these different concepts like cutting off, you know, dribbles and different things like that. Is that what we're talking about? Um, I think mainly I want to teach our guys how to um, understand spacing in terms of getting away from the basketball, giving gaps available to the the ball handler to penetrate, uh, mostly in transition situations. Um, so, you know, where it stemmed from was when my dad was with Denver, they had Ty Lawson and he was a speed guard. You know, I've had some great point guards over my career as well. And that initiate, you know, I found in from watching my dad's teams is, I found that you could get better. And even as a player, you could get better opportunities by just playing with a little pace or energy and attacking a gap, creating a disadvantage situation for the defense, and then just playing off of that disadvantage. And, uh, you know, a lot of times, as, as we, as we all know, playing in the half court is the most difficult thing to do. So I found that you could actually create, if you really try to play with pace and energy, you can create those same disadvantages in the half court if you if you execute with spacing and you and you play with pace. So it's it's uh, yeah, just the general concept. We play a lot of three on three, four on four, uh, with no screen and rolls, uh, no plays, just just drive and kick situations. And and um, I think you know the gap offense is what my dad went to in Denver a lot, and a lot of those principles I learned from working out with John Welsh and. Um, and we kind of carried him over and just to let's, let's learn how to play the game of basketball, bring two defenders to you and then move it to the open man. 
Awesome. And let's let's dive into that a little bit more, this gap offense and, and creating these gaps, especially in transition. Is, is that as simple as getting to certain spacing spots or what are some other things that uh, help create gaps to be able to drive? Yeah, I, I think it's, it's one is trying to keep people off the strong side block, uh, you know, keeping the strong side open. Um, your, your wings running to the corners if they don't have a if they don't have a layup. Um, and staying away from the ball and, and being ready for the opportunity because what happens a lot of times if you do run to the corner uh, your defender will you know fall asleep and, and then the advance pass will, will create your driving opportunity uh, so a lot of it's just staying out of the way waiting for your defender to commit uh, to the ball and then being ready to make the next play um, it's really as simple as that but that's the way I see the game um, and I think we've seen it over the last five to ten years uh, that that's the hardest thing to defend in the game. And a lot of teams are, have mo- are moving in that direction. So what are we talking about in terms of decisions for a driver? So player catches the ball, they have gap spacing. What is the emphasis? What are some of the conceptual things that we're talking about there? Well, we want them to make a quick decision first. Um, and, and I think a lot of that is uh, our player development coaches and our assistant coaches on our team. We work a lot on making quick decisions. Uh, reading the defense before the ball comes to you, you know, knowing where your defender is. If he's, if he's out, if he's out in, 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 in plugging the gap, you got to be ready to shoot the ball or put it on the floor, depending on your skill set or, or time and situation. But um, so that's one is just is, is making that quick decision. And then after that is, uh, so let's say we put the ball on the floor and then we got to read the situation. One, the first option, and I think, uh, we overcomplicated a little bit as coaches is, is just go get a layup. Um, and I've seen it many times, uh, you know, players want to um, appease coaches by executing the play or making the next pass. But I think um, the players today are more talented than they ever, they've ever been. And they have more ability to get to the rim and finish than they, even they know. So a lot of times is I want them to get to the rim and finish. And, and then, obviously, if we get a layup in that situation, it's going to create a help situation the next time. And then that's the next decision, which will be, you know, reading the help side. If the help side's there early, you know, if it's a baseline drive, you're going to hopefully find a corner man or a slot man, um, um, you know, and then teaching the weak side to fit, or weak side guards to try to cut that slot so it's an easier pass and, and creating more space on the weak side. But um, you know, the, the complexity of that is, 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 is pretty vast. Uh, and we could, we could probably talk this whole hour on that, but, you know, we, we started implementing something this year, uh, where we drive the nail or, you know, the, the middle and then making our ball handler read the situation. If the, if the nail man was in full help, if he's showing his chest with arms out, which we, you know, put strategically put a coach in that situation, if he's there, then it's moving into the slot and then making a quick decision there, you know, going on catch or, or making a swing swing. Um, and then if he's not there, then getting through the nail or penetrating into the paint. And then it's making the next decision. Is it rim or is the bottom guy coming over? And then I'm making the corner pass or, or the, to the dunker. Take a brief moment to interrupt this podcast to share some information from one of our show supporters. As sports keep coming back, so does your chance to bet on them with our exclusive wagering partner, betonline.ag. 
Major League Baseball will soon be in full swing, and there are no shortage of ways to get in on the action. BetOnline has all the odds, futures, and props for you to be on. Also, tune in as Floyd Money Mayweather Weather joins BetOnline team in a new segment called The Ice is Right, where he talks about his expansive jewelry collection. He'll give you the chance to win some great prizes and bet on the cost of his bling. Visit betonline.ag today to check out all the odds and up-to-date sports news. Don't forget to sign up and take advantage of all the Welcome Back to Sports bonuses. BetOnline, your online wagering experts. Now back to the podcast. I love so much of what you said there. And uh, let's maybe even, we'll start with the first thing that you talked about, which is making quick decisions. So what are some of the things that we're doing to help players make quicker decisions? And, And as we've talked about, it's perception, decision, skill execution. And skill execution actually being the third part. So we're talking a lot about perception and decision. And you mentioned cues already. So how are you developing that? Well, I think one is is our play development coaches. I asked our assistants to to limit their dribbles one and then limit their decision making time. So putting a parameter on uh it's too slow, you know, telling them that we don't want a jab, we don't want to up fake. Uh, we want them to be ready when the ball hits their hands or even before. Um, so I think that's one. And, and I experienced that as a player. I saw John Welsh work for years and years when I would go out and train with my dad's teams in Denver or we'd bring in, you know, whatever, if it's a rookie or, or a vet. And, and John would just just not let them hold the ball. You know, encourage your players to just make a quick decision. It's very uncomfortable for players, especially – I remember, you know, working with Aaron Ofalo when he got there from Detroit. You know, Aaron was kind of like a Kobe Bryant type where he he caught it, jab, jab, kind of read the situation, which, uh, you know, that's fine if it's Kobe Bryant. But when you're trying to play as a a unit or as a team, and, you know, Aaron turned out to be a, a prominent player on that team, but traditionally we want our players to make quicker decisions because then it gives the defense less time to recover. So it's not necessarily about your primary defender, but it's more about your secondary and baseline defenders. Are they going to be in positions? And the more jabs, the more time you take when you catch the ball, it it gives them the opportunity to shift over and be in a help side position. Um, And to me, I, I find that as a selfish act in a lot of ways, especially early in the shot clock. Absolutely. And I think, again, we've, I think most good teams recognize that and most good teams coach that. But the part that I like that you've added to this, and I don't think enough coaches give players, like basketball is not a verbal cue game. It's a visual cue game. It's the distracting information. It's the visual stimuli that players read that leads to this perception action coupling these decisions. So you already gave this cue. You said showing chest arms out. So basically, if a driver sees a chest, in front of them, then that's a cue to be able to move it as fast as possible in terms of those decisions. So you're not just talking about drive the clothes out. You're talking about decisions versus secondary level of help. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, that's, that's the simplest one, right? It's, it's, we're putting a coach there who's not an elite athlete, who's not in the, you know, the, the athletic ability or, the instincts of a player that they're going to be playing against. So it's just to, to create that understanding. Um, ideally with the player development stuff is we want our players to be playing against each other so they can start reading because, you know, as, as, as I've experienced, I think we've all experienced that the players are much smarter um, 
if you give them rep- repetition. So the best way for them to learn is to play against each other and com- to compete. And, um, you know, what, what we see a lot is, is when you just give them a lot of reps with limiting their time to make decisions, then they'll start to trust their decision-making by just, um, what's the, what's the word just by survival. You know, it's, 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 they, they can't, they can't think about it. Then they got to trust themselves. They got to trust their bodies. They got to trust their minds. And, and, you know, one of the, one of the books that we're reading as a staff right now is the inner game of tennis and tremendous. Book, just, yeah. yeah. Just the understanding that we need to learn how to trust our decision-making not to think. So I'm curious if you can share, uh, well, first of all, let's talk. So what you just described there is guided to live. And that's a part of the process. Often this guided part is what coaches don't understand enough about. And that's, yeah, it's a coach, but what you're doing is you're bridging the gap between on air, meaning no defense to live, which is live one-on-one, two on two, three on three, whatever it is. So there's tremendous value to that because it gives an offensive player a perceptual cue which is ultimately what leads to transfer. Can you give us some other cues? Maybe you already talked about this chest to chest cue. What are some other cues that you try and get players to be able to understand? Yeah, I haven't dove too deeply into that yet. It's, it's an exciting area for me. Um, I mean, but, a, but another simple one would be, you know, just put a, put a coach strong side with the ball, have him drive the nail and then kick it to the guy in the slot and then have him read the weak side bottom defender. You know, in our game, most almost 90, I don't know any teams that come out of the corner, maybe maybe some of the more unique teams, but most teams won't leave that corner three. Mm-hmm. So you're going to be reading the weak side bottom man. And so having a coach on that weak side bottom, if he's there early, uh, you know, then it's you're going to find either the corner man, the weak side corner or the slot. If he's not, then then we're trying to teach him to go to the rim and finish. Uh and finish through contact and, and understanding that um, the rules in the NBA are, are so beneficial to the offense that let's, let's create some contact here and attack the rim. Because if, if that defender's not there early, they're, they're in an illegal guarding position. So the more aggressive we can be in those situations. So I, I think being there early and then, and then reading the situation, if he's not there early, attacking the rim and then making, making a, a, a play at the rim, and then reading is if he makes a good vertical uh, defensive play, maybe we're going to have to try to find a, a corner man or a slot man um, on a jump pass. It's great stuff. And it's great stuff to think about. And I'll give you one that you probably do in some way. And that's with ball screen. Like instead of an offensive player working, say, on a one on ball screen, the coach is probably there in some context influencing the drive. Now, true guided is not that they're doing predetermined reps of say, you know, curling the ball screen and the coach chasing true guided would be the coach goes under, you know, the coach tries to fight through the coach denies access so that the player has to have some type of cue decision prior to the actual physical execution. So I'm imagining that you do something like that already. No, absolutely. Uh, You know, I think to me, ball screens are, are, have been overused. I think what we're seeing a lot with our, with the, the younger kids that are coming into the G league with us and even the NBA, they're actually better at ball screens than most generations have been in the past. The, the college game is starting to use them more. So they're more skilled with them. Um, where I think where we can help our players the most is like uh, another one that, as you said, that 
that where we did it was like a wide a wide pin down and reading the big because you know as most teams do uh similar to the ball screen is they're going to be in a drop uh, on that wide pin down depending on who the player is so reading is is if i'm coming out of the corner on a wide pin down is my defender on my hip is he going to lock and trail or is he going to shoot the gap if he locks and trails then keeping him on your back and then my read is going to be my eyes and my feel is going to be on the big defender. And if that big defender doesn't step over and fully help, then I want to attack the rim. So one one of the other drills that we added this year was coming off that wide pin down, keeping the coach, the defender on his hip behind the play, and then slowing your rate of, of speed to create a longer window for perception. Uh, and and all, all I'm saying there is just slow down a little bit so you can read. Is the big going to step up and, and, and then kind of play cat and mouse with them? If he does step up, then I can drop it to my big. If he doesn't, I'm going to attack the rim and finish either, you know, front rim or to the other side. Yeah, I mean, that's it. That's it. Rather than doing mindless, repetitive reps of a skill, now you're adding things that cause them to apply skill but apply skill in random ways. And uh, yeah, it's really, really good stuff. And it's, it's, it's cool to see, cause I, I definitely see it more throughout all of basketball levels. And as you said, it's impacted players that get to you, which is great to hear. What is maybe the biggest struggle for players in this conceptual process that you go through at the beginning of the year? Um, so, I mean, we've talked to a couple of different subjects, but the one, obviously on the top of my mind right now is reading that situation and the uh, reading a two-on-one or one-on-one situation against a, a drop or pick and roll or a help situation. And and I think the biggest thing, the biggest difficulty that I see with young players is they don't slow down. Um, and, and I think it's the nuance of the game is you watch like a Doncic now uh, who I think is elite at this and, and LeBron does it all the great point guards do it, all the great decision makers do it, is, is they slow themselves down to give themselves more time to read the situation. And, and again, they're not thinking, but they're just reading what's the big going to do? What's the, is the guard going over the top? You know, it, they're always in control of the situation. So um, again, I think we have the most talented players, uh, American players at least that I've ever seen individually skill-wise, but uh, a lot of times they're in a rush to get to their skills that they're they're not reading the situation. And and I think that is the biggest thing is just slow down, read, and give yourself time to see. And then uh, I think once you get them to understand that, I think it's a very, um, it's a very impactful thing. And it gives them uh, kind of that courage to, I can control this game. And, and you know, I think the way the NBA rules are now is the offense does control the game. And I think the slower that you play, the more advantage you have. Take a brief moment to interrupt this podcast to share some information from one of our show supporters. As sports keep coming back, so does your chance to bet on them with our exclusive wagering partner, betonline.ag. Major League Baseball will soon be in full swing, and there are no shortage of ways to get in on the action. BetOnline has all the odds, futures, and props for you to be on. Also, tune in as Floyd Money Mayweather Weather joins BetOnline team in a new segment called The Ice is Right, where he talks about his expansive jewelry collection. He'll give you the chance to win some great prizes and bet on the cost of his bling. 
Visit betonline.ag today to check out all the odds and up-to-date sports news. Don't forget to sign up and take advantage of all the welcome back to sports bonuses. BetOnline, your online wagering experts. Hey coaches, brief interruption from our podcast to hear from Manscaped.com. 2020 has been the year of things happening that are completely out of your control. But there is one thing that you can control, and that's shaving your bush. You may be surprised how many coaches have already DM'd me about this special offer. I wasn't, because I'm a user, and Manscaped.com is definitely worth it. Our sponsors at Manscaped are here to remind you to do so. The Manscaped Lawnmower 3.0 is a premium electric trimmer that's designed to give you a confidence boost through body image. Their ceramic blade and skin-safe technology are designed to reduce nicks and tugs on your fellows down low. The Lawnmower 3.0 is also waterproof and comes with an LED light so you can manscape in the shower, in the dark, or in a dark shower, whatever floats your boat. Go to manscaped.com and check out some of these life-changing products. In fact, listeners of this show will get 20% off plus free shipping with the code armchair at manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com and use code armchair. It's time to grab 2020 by the horns by shaving that front trunk. Now back to the podcast. Well, it's, it's again, great, great insights there because it seems like we, we almost contradict ourselves with players in a sense that we, we want them to make quick decisions, play fast, but then we don't give them the, the understanding of what that actually means. And most of it has to do with if we, if we speed up perception and decision, the skill doesn't have to be rushed. And an example of that for someone like you who is a shooter is you don't shoot quickly. You prepare to shoot quickly, right? It's your preparation prior to shot, but your rhythm doesn't even doesn't change when it comes to the skill. And I imagine that's kind of what you're framing there for these players. Yeah, I mean, ideally for myself, uh, you know, I was definitely not a perfect player. Uh, and I think sometimes, you know, when when we worry too much about what the defense is doing, it can hinder our our decision-making process. Like, we do need to be comfortable and confident that if I'm open, I'm going to shoot it and and, and simplifying it. And I, I know I had trouble with that as a player is, is I would overcomplicate some of these things uh, uh, because I was a, a pass-first guy. I always wanted to make the right play. Um, and I think I, I see that a lot with, like, uh, we had Scotty Machado, and he's always looking to pass the ball. And sometimes you got to be aggressive. And I think in giving your players that confidence to be aggressive in these situations, that creates a help situation. And then we can start talking about making the right play after that. Love it. So I'm going to quote an exact quote that you texted me because I love this and I could not agree more. And then I want you to talk about it. And that is simplicity and space create creativity and the beauty and unpredictability of randomness. Can you speak to that? Or maybe I should say that three times in case coaches are writing that. Down. <laughs> uh, they can go back and say it. But. Um, yeah, you know, like I said, I was as a player, I was I felt um, I felt that I was at my best when I could play freely. And and so as a coach, I try to set that up with with what we do offensively to give our players the the freedoms to make decisions and, and be creative and be unpredictable. And the best way to do that, um, that I found is, is one, you got to have space around the ball and you can't have the strong side posts filled. 
uh, and I learned that from my dad's teams in Denver and the the gap offense. And then two, you got to be able to on penetration, you got to be able to move and make reactions determined by the ball handler's decision. Uh, you know what, where where pace goes into that is it doesn't allow the defender or the defense in general to analyze the situation and start to 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 prepare for what's coming next. Uh, and, and you know, I remember my first year as an assistant coach when I, you know, was first doing scout reports. I was I was playing against Jesse Mermis's team, the uh, Raptors nine oh five, and and he did a good job of that. Is they weren't a very good team, but they didn't run any plays, so it's really hard to scout for a team that doesn't run any plays. Uh, where if you where if I know that you're running flex or weak or strong, I can I can put in something. We can go through a walkthrough. And uh, let's say, let's deny the, the swing pass here, or um, let's switch this out to a denial, or let's double team when, when they get to this situation. But if I can't tell my players exactly where it's going to happen, it's very difficult for them um, to understand how to defend these situations. So you talk talk about this, and you've mentioned this many times, about not running any plays. And and, and there's, a, there's a lack of maybe understanding about what that means. And it's, this is not roll out the ball and do whatever you want, you're giving them a template and you're giving them sequences, I imagine, which I want you to talk about, about possibilities within each scenario, within each structure, right? You've already talked about three on three, four on four, different things like that. So is that what you're doing? Like you're giving them these possibilities or sequences? Yeah, we give them actions. I I like to call them actions. Uh, Yeah. Yeah, you know, to me, it's like a domino. So it, it's the action just creates the domino effect. So all we're trying to do is create a situation where the defense is at a disadvantage, and then we got to make the right play after that. Um, you know, one of the things that I like to say is, is I think the the play is the canvas, and then you guys are the artists. So you guys can do what you want. And I kind of learned that playing for Phil Jackson. Uh, well, I didn't play a lot, but uh, when I was on the team with the Lakers. Uh, that you know, everyone talks about the triangle offense. Well, the triangle offense—it's it, a structure, but the creativity is on the players and the people in the system. And, and and he never told anyone that there was a wrong decision. He actually preached a lot that there is no wrong decision. So wherever Derek Fisher passes the ball, whether it's corner, strong side post, or top of the key, or you know, blind pig man, uh, it, that decision is correct, and everyone acts accordingly. So there's no questioning the decision maker of the passer or the action on the team. It's everyone just plays as one. And and I think that's a, a powerful thing. And we see it a lot. You know, I think the San Antonio team, when they were playing the beautiful basketball, uh, you know, any team that we'd like to watch and we talk about as coaches, like, oh, that's amazing. That's awesome. It, it, it's It's somehow they've created an understanding as a group or as a team that, whatever happens, they're going to go with it. You know, there's little hesitation. There's no stopping. Um, I'm not sure if that answers your question. It's brilliant. No, it's absolutely great. And I love that. I love that. Obviously any connection to Phil Jackson like that is tremendous, but like just the fact that that's, that is absolutely the case on offense and defense is that it's only essentially a wrong decision. If the other four players don't adapt to what is happening. Right. Like that's what you're saying. Essentially, it's on your teammates. Even if you make the wrong decision within the philosophy, if you run structure, everyone else can make it a right decision by adjusting and adapting. Absolutely. And I think, you know, you you can you can even see it when 
a team is well coached and they are running plays. I remember when I was in college, I, I played against Utah State and I think Stu Morrill was there and they ran their plays, but they also had their counters to every play. And, and you know, we take like same thing. We college is much different because the preparation time is, is so immense. But, you know, we they would run their play and then we would scout it and then we would have our whatever we wanted to take away. And then you could see their team react immediately with the counter. And I think that's the objective is we want to teach our players how to read the game and then make decisions without thinking. Love it. And and when you're choosing actions, are you choosing actions based on your philosophy or based on your player personnel or what, where did the actions come from that you use within a specific team? Um, so it, it's, it's interesting with the G league. So it's a little more complicated than that because, you know, obviously we work for the Los Angeles Lakers. So, you know, this year, Frank wanted us to replicate a lot of what they do, um, with the understanding that we don't have Anthony Davis and we don't have LeBron James or Rajon Rondo, or, you know, you can go down the list. So a lot of those actions we take, they're very simple NBA actions or basketball actions. You know, I've always been a fan of running pistol or 21, um, you know, I mean, you can go down the list. There's not, it's not a complex situation. It's just trying to create a disadvantage where, you know, weak side pin downs, you know, double pin downs to the weak side. You could, you can, you can throw anything in there. You can get cute with it. But, you know, I found as a coach that when you get too complicated, it actually hinders your players' creativity and, and, and it makes it easier for coaches to, and teams to prepare for you. Um, uh, but like I said, over, over the last, five years even just started co my coaching career five years ago teams are going more to that so it's easier for for players to adapt and they're, they're more familiar with the randomness of the game yeah pistols is a great example right i mean it's it's really again it's it's a three-player action with with weak side spacing but within that three-player action which can become a two-player action there are endless possibilities and endless ways to be able to adapt it very easily so that's a that's a great example in terms of that. And again, it's something that I think high school coaches, especially youth coaches should consider because one of the advantages of something like pistols as an action is you can hide certain players, right? Yeah. You know, the one thing I've always liked about pistol too, is like you said, there's so many decisions. And I think where I've seen coaches who try to run pistol go wrong is they make it a play. Um, you know, I think you should show your players options out of it, whether you're doing two on O, three on O options, player development stuff, one on O, where coaches are going through it and, and show them some of the reads. But then, you know, I don't like to call pistol snap or pistol, you know, down, wh whatever it is. I would prefer them make the read themselves because, as we've talked about, I believe that, you know, the, the player on the or the, the person on the floor is, is going to make the, a better decision than the coach because they can see the defense they can feel the defense understand what's going on they hear the chatter on the court um so i think where i've seen you know a, a, a simple situation where pistol can be genius where you, and granted you have to have the players <laughs> let's not ignore that um but where where you can have a simple action like that and it can be so beautiful to watch you know steve nash run it or uh, you know, Houston Rockets used to run it a lot uh, where it's beautiful in those situations. And then you can see another team run it where it's so slow and mundane uh, and it's very easy to guard. So I think the, the, the freedom and the fluidity uh, of the action is, is more important than the action itself. 
It's a great reminder. And I appreciate you doing that for us because it's that concept of structure. It's okay to start with structure and teaching, say, epistles, but it has to become unstructured. And, and that means remove the guidance of the coach and calling plays for it to be effective. And that applies to so many offensive concepts, doesn't it? I mean, that's that's what I believe. And, you know, I'm still learning. And But from my experience, uh, and, and it's always going to be the dependent on who you have and the team you have but you know if you have a point guard that you can trust and 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 guys that you trust to make good decisions and a team that's going to play unselfish i i haven't seen that not work uh as long as you have the the skills to to execute those that action then then it's uh it's very difficult to play or to play against uh, and then the other thing we're, we're not talking about is just the pace of getting into it. Again, not letting the defense analyze the situation and the weak side to load up and, um, you know, all those things. You've talked about a, a little bit of this uh, spacing and how spacing leads to creativity, et cetera. Are, are, there, are there specific spacing spots that you want to fill in certain situations, let's say in ball screen? Like, are those now set spots that we want certain players in certain spots? I try not to overload our guys with those. Mm-hmm. I, I want I want them to understand that though. Yeah, for sure. If we're going to run a side pick and roll, uh, if the corner is empty, then we want uh, you know, depending on your skill set of your big, I think ideally I would want all three weak side offensive players to be spaced: corner, slot, or corner wing, and then uh, slot. And then if if you have a big who's more comfortable inside the fifteen feet, then you put him in the weak side dunker. Uh, as far out so the so his weak side defender can't be in the paint uh, for NBA rules with three seconds. Um, you know, even on a mid pick and roll or, or middle pick and roll, you know, if I would prefer that the the strong or the ball hand the strong or the ball handler at, is going to a strong hand. So if he's right, I want the right side to be uh, just have the the one person in the corner and then the the weak side to have a corner and then um, wing which, you know, fills up, it's going to give a two-man tag to the weak side for uh, for our role man. But I think it, it creates more opportunity for our point guards to um, create and, and be creative. Yeah, I love it. And uh, we're, we're going we're gonna to stay, I guess, in the same area, but we're going to shift gears a little bit and talk about something else that uh, we wanted to touch on here. And, and that's this, this concept. And again, I'll use one of your quotes that you sent me, building the courage and perspective to be different. Can you talk to me about that? Yeah. Um, it's something I've had to learn over the years, to be honest. It's, it's uh, you know, growing up as my father's son and, and, and part of our family, we moved a lot. So I was always the new kid. And, and I think it's our nature to always want to try to fit in. Uh, you know, I think that we see it with our kids or uh, or if you reflect back, depending on your upbringing, is you want to be in, you want to, you want to be part of the crowd, and you want to feel part of it. Uh, where I think that's counterintuitive in our profession is what that does is it creates an advantage for your opponent because they're familiar with what you're doing. And and where I've found some success over the years uh, in in my short career is uh, is doing things differently because it it, it makes the opponent be uncomfortable one psychologically and physically they're going to have to prepare for it to be different so some examples of that are you know i think the my favorite one is when it happened was nick nurse in the finals going box and one 
And, you know, that's the benefit of being in the G League is we can try some of these things. We've played a box of one. We've played a triangle and two. We've done a three-quarter court trap. We've we've run and jump without, you know, as the ball comes over half court. You know, it's just it, uh, the, the idea is that we want to, to create a situation that the players and the team has not seen and is not comfortable with. Uh, and, you know, it, it was ironic after that, that game, the finals game, I think was, I love Steph Curry and I actually played with him for 10 days, his rookie year. And, and you know, his father played for, for my father. So I've known him for a long time and I think he's incredible, but I think he said, you know, like that junk defense. And, you know, I think that's the irony is, is, you know, our objective is to win games. It's not to look pretty. And uh, you can call it what you want, but it, it won. And and I think when you when you try things differently, people get uncomfortable, and they, and they might call it you know junk defense or you know a lot of a lot of genius things are called names like that. So I just look at you know triangle and two or box and one is we're just trying to make the the opponent feel uncomfortable and see something that they haven't seen before. Well, and and I think we're seeing it more and more, right? That that there's. The, an adaption possibly to the modern offense and how good offenses are, are that coaches seem to be doing more things that are less traditional, especially say at the NBA or the G league level, right? Even playing two, three zone as extensively as you're seeing now. Yeah, absolutely. You know, one thing that I was really proud of our staff this year uh, and our players, uh, you know, we didn't, we didn't win a ton of games this year, but one thing we did at the end of games is we tried uh you know, we called it ring it, which is just a, you know, four man zone. And when the ball comes in, it's, it becomes a matchup for, you know, 10 seconds and less. Uh, it, and all that does is it, it nullifies any sweet or off ball screens, getting the, the ball open or getting, getting the, the player open to get the ball in. And, you know, I think, you know, it's, it seems untraditional, but when you really look at it, is it, is it that much different than just switching everything? you know, before the ball comes in or switching everything when the, when, when the ball comes in. Um, so I think it's, I think what, what I see a lot as I get older in my young life is, um, it's just the, the perceptions I think ruin a lot of, uh, a lot of things for myself is like, well, that's, you know, no one's done that before, or, or it looks differently, or maybe someone will, uh, think that that's wrong. Um, whereas I think, you know, what I'm learning is I need to be better at trying to find these things that are going to help my team win games and, and not caring what it looks like or, or what, uh, what it's going to be perceived as. Well, it's such a great point. Cause that's, I, I believe that's a great growth process for you as a human or me as a human as well is getting to the point where to a certain extent, you don't care what other people think right? Like you're comfortable, you're confident in yourself. And I remember that really that moment as a coach almost where I got to that point, I felt like, Oh, I can really coach now at this level. And I feel it. And it gave you this freedom and this confidence to be able to, as you said, try some things and do some things differently. Yeah. You know, I, I 100% agree with you. And I think it's been difficult throughout my life. And I, I've put a lot of time in, in reflection and uh, getting to know myself better and understanding my weaknesses and my strengths and, and, and building my own confidence, uh, you know, to not care what other people think and, and do what's right for myself, do what's right for my, my family and my wife and, and my kids. Um, 
entrusting myself in those situations. But I think it is, I think it's, it's a very underrated thing. And I think it's more difficult than, than people give credit to. And, and that's why, you know, like the, when we started talking about this, talking about Nick Nurse, I have, I have so much love for Nick Nurse because I, I played against him as a player when he was in the G League or D League at that time. Um, and he's always been willing to do things differently. And for anyone who's studied him or, or looked into him, you know, he was, he was doing crazy defenses back when he was coaching in England 15 years ago. And, and I think, uh, to your point of when you get to that point, you realize that the world is so, so vast and, and, and you can try so many different things and it doesn't matter, you know, as, as long as, as long as you explain it and, and your players are on board and the people that matter to you are on board, uh, it really kind of create empowers people to, to try things that, that, you know, go beyond their, their limits. And such a key point there is obviously what you talked about. So maybe you can address that a little bit about how to get players on board to be able to, as we talked about, be a little bit more courageous or try different things as a coach. What does that look like in your culture? Yeah, I, I think it, that one's hard. I was actually, I, I tried to reach out to Nick this summer to talk to him more about that because I think he's he's uh, as good as anyone right now at doing that. I think a lot of it has to is determined by the players that you have um in the understanding that they have within the game uh you know i think the first year i had josh majette who is as smart as a basketball player as i've ever coached or, or been around and he he got it you know because he had played so many pick and rolls that he knew if you were in a week or if you were in a drop or if you were in a trap him he knew what to do with those things so i think it's just is trying to communicate to your players that we're it's not necessarily about the execution of what we're doing it's about that these guys aren't comfortable playing against this this situation. So I think it's one communicating with your leader and and having them understand, hey, you know, we're going to try this. It's going to be a little different. It's something maybe you guys have never done before. Uh, you know, maybe it's a triangle and two. But we think from what we've we've done our research on this team is if we do this, that we're really going to take them out of a position to be successful tonight or you know, hey, we don't have any big guys tonight, so we're going to try this when they do this. Uh, we're going to go to a zone when they do this because uh, we think that it's going to be it's going to put us in a better opportunity. So I think a lot of it's communication with with your with your players. I think it's a lot of it's communication with your leaders on the team uh, that that really gets the ball rolling. Talk to me too about uh, leading people first, which obviously fits into that culture piece you just said. Yeah, I mean that that's that's kind of that's who I am. Um I grew up as I said moving from city to city with with my family and I was always the new kid and you know uh it's difficult to fit in because you know a lot of us go through our routine and, and kind of don't see people. We don't see um you know we don't see the homeless guy. We don't see uh even friends or people that we walk by in Starbucks and and you know I'm a culprit of it too but I think what I what I recognized in my life is when I have been seen where someone can actually see who I am as a human being, it empowers me to be more than I am in that moment. And um, and I want our players to feel seen and, and feel loved and feel appreciated and understood and, and, and feel invested in by our, our organization and our staff. And it's difficult because in the professional world, there's no doubt about it. This is about winning and losing. It's about making money. And it's about, you know, success and failure. And, and that makes it even more difficult. But, you know, I, I don't think 
anyone can dispute that the greatest teams are the ones that have that ability to bring all these individuals from different backgrounds and make them so part of something bigger than themselves. And I think the best example, which was pretty cool during this, this terrible time as a country and a world with the pandemic is, is that we had the opportunity to reflect and, and look back on what the, that Bulls team did with Phil Jackson and, and, you know, his unique style of leadership. And, uh, so that's kind of where it all stemmed from for me is I just want people to be heard and feel part of it because I think when I felt that as a person, whether that was in a classroom or it was on a basketball team where, where, my, I knew my coaching staff or my, my teammates knew who I w- was as a human being and, and were willing to listen to me or, or even if it was a basketball concept that uh, I was going to be a better player at the end of the day. I'm glad you said that because the, the one, the takeaway certainly from the Phil Jackson and last dance is just again, how permissive he was in a very common sense. Let's not overreact type of way. In just honoring and holding space for people's unique and individual ways. And I think, again, isn't that our goal? Because we're coaching people and they're all unique. They're all different. And I just thought that was a tremendous illustration of that. And the fact that you got to experience that in many different ways is, is awesome, too. Yeah. You know, I think the last dance in, you know, Phil, I've gotten to know him pretty well over the years as a mentor and friend. Uh, I think he's so unique at that ability. And I think it's it's interesting to see it with The Last Dance because it's so extreme when it comes to Dennis Rodman. Most of us perceive him as so different than us and because of the way he presented himself to the world and some of the things and what he did. Um, but at the end of the day, he's a human being. He has the same fears. He has the same uh, same ambitions. He, you know, he wants to feel comfortable in a group and but he just does things a little differently than everyone else. And I think when you when you meet a leader like Phil, and what we saw in that that documentary was, you know, who has the audacity to let one of their best players go to Vegas for a couple of days? And obviously, you know, times have changed now, so you can't necessarily do that. But, um, you know, I think that's an understanding of the human being that he's going to be a better player for our team if we if we give him the freedom to do this. And, uh, you know, that's a test. That's a testament to Phil's leadership to, to be able to communicate to Scotty and Michael to have them understand it as well. And I think once you get your players to start understanding and seeing people as a whole, uh, then then that's then you've already started the process of becoming great because then people are seeing others, not just themselves. Um, and and then I, my favorite part about that documentary was when you know Dennis Rodman had the audacity to miss practice in the finals, and then uh, you know how Phil addressed him that next shoot around uh, with such calmness and understanding and uh, perspective. Yeah. Tremendous way. And, and and you never felt like he was like, like he was treating someone so differently or, you know, this unfair treatment, he was just honoring whatever the situation for whatever that individual was and the team got it. And that's, that's, that's tremendous too. Cause I think one thing I talk a lot about co- with coaches about is this, the, the concept of absolutes versus possibilities. And, and that's mm-hmm. the challenge when we have so many absolutes, we have to enforce them and we have to, you know, I guess, control those absolutes because we've made them absolutes. And that's really hard in coaching, I think, in the modern game with the modern people that we coach. <laughs> no pun intended, no pun intended, but absolutely. <laughs> I, I think it's, I think it's really difficult. Uh, and, you know, I kind of did, did that this year with shot selection 
and it just it just pr- puts more stress on on me as a coach on, on the players and then even your environment i think uh, my ambition as a coach and i think what i understand from coaching is i just want to make sure my responsibility is to have under everyone understand that the team is the most important thing and, and we're all in this for the team and you know i'm the leader of that team and as a coach and then your different responsibilities, whereas Michael Jordan was the leader of that Bulls team and Scottie Pippen was, you know, his sidekick, you know, right right next to him as, as number two. And, you know, people have different responsibilities within the team. And I think appreciating their responsibilities and understanding their responsibilities and, and teaching them what they are and, and evaluating them, I think, can create a special environment for, for teams to succeed. Coach, as we wind this down, I I have to ask because I'm I'm big on actionable ideas like you are as well. What are some of the actionable ideas that you use to create this environment that we've talked about? You know, it's funny that you ask because, you know, when I got into being a head coach and even as assistant, I had this this grandiose idea that I do want to create this feeling, that specialness that that we've all felt of being part of a team. And, um, and how does that happen? Like, how does Phil Jackson create this environment where you feel part of something special? Um, and it's difficult. And, and some of the things that we've tried, uh, some have been successful, some haven't. But uh, I think it's important that we actually spend time and not just expect our team to, to just become good friends. And, you know, I think we're all aware of the social media era and video games in this generation of kids is there's, there's a, there's a disconnect. So I think a lot of it is just spending time communicating with them and, and, and giving them opportunities to communicate. So some of the cool things that we've done, you know, like on our road trips, we'll do, uh, I saw this Ted talk by a young lady uh, and she has these cards that you can buy on Amazon. It's called big talk. It's about 250 cards of really deep hitting questions. And we'll ask our players these questions and everyone staff included, will go around when we're on the bus and answer them. Um, you know, an example of the question is if you had, you know, 24 hours to live, what would you do with those last 24 hours of your life? And, and just to, just to get here, different people, you know, you're going to have the, the deep thinking people that are going to give a really thoughtful answer, like Andre Ingram, for, for example, for our team, or you're going to have the, you know, the shy guy who's not going to want to answer, but it, just giving them that opportunity, I think is a very special thing for, for, for us as as a team to hear each other and then also for me it's selfishly i, I want to get to know them better uh, another thing that we, we traditionally do uh, as a team before our season gets started is something we call ford which is just an acronym for uh, f-o-r-d which is family occupation recreation and dream and we'll just have each player stand up for a minute or 30 seconds and say you know tell me about your family you know where you come from uh, whatever family means to you, because it's different for everyone. Uh, tell me, tell me about, uh, since we're all doing basically the same occupation, uh, maybe where, where you went to college or where you've been playing before, uh, what do you like to do with your recreation off the court just to get a better idea of who they are the other 22 hours that we're not around each other. And then what's your dream? Uh, you know, and a lot of these are the same things, but, uh, you know, like a lot of our guys' dreams are to make the NBA, which is was absolutely my dream when I was a player as well. Um, uh, and then another tradition we started too was uh, when 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 we make our final cuts or we bring someone into a team, we have them do our, a family tree. And and this is one of my favorite ones because it, it really gives the perspective of 
that this human being is is more than just what you see. It's it's the the parents that have raised them, the sisters and brothers uh, that that they love and they've been around their whole life, or their wife or their their kids. So we'll have each each player take one minute and and say who their whatever their mom and dad is or whoever their mom and dad is. And, and again, family is different to each person. So whoever your mom and dad is, if you have sisters and brothers, what their names are, uh, if you're married, uh, your grandpa and grandma. You know, uh, one of our assistant coaches was a great example is because he went up and did the family tree and he's like, this is, you know, my mom's name. And then my dad was way over here and he's writing on a whiteboard, wrote it way up in the corner because his dad wasn't part of his life. And, you know, as we know, not everyone has their mom and dad in their lives or, you know, we all have a different story. So I, I think that's the beauty of, of giving these opportunities that we start to see that everyone's different, but we're, we're all coming together as, as a team. Tremendous. I love it. Great actionable things and uh, practical things. And uh, coach, I can't thank you enough for sharing just uh, so authentically and uh, openly with us all these different ideas. So thanks for taking the time. Yeah, it's been an honor, Chris. Thank you for the opportunity. Thanks for listening. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to the show and to give the basketball podcast and this week's guest a shout out on social media to show your support for us sharing the game and to stay up to date on all things basketball immersion Subscribe to our newsletter at basketballmersion.com slash newsletter.